So that's what's so interesting, the idea of what home is. It's hard to answer that question. I mean, home can be many things. And I'm starting to feel like New York is fading a little bit. I lived in Europe for five years. So where is home? Right now, I'm making a home in Raleigh. Why? Why, Why Raleigh? Raleigh has such a good soul. Where is home? Right now, I'm making a home in Raleigh. We started a business that is really just betting on Raleigh. This is a podcast about a medium-sized, mid-Atlantic American city growing at an unprecedented rate. Only Austin has a higher growth rate over the last five years. It's one of the top three hottest job markets in America, according to the Wall Street Journal. Hosted by a Raleigh-born millennial producer and media consultant, Flo Lumsden. That's me. With co-host, former New Yorker, Jen Exer, relative newcomer to Raleigh, story and brand consultant slash writer, Chauncey Zalkin. Flo moved back here to make this her forever home. Chauncey was looking for a good place to raise her kids that shared her values and provided opportunities and was pretty to look at. She'd never lived anywhere so polite. Hi, I'm Flo. And I'm Chauncey. Welcome to the Why Raleigh podcast. A podcast about Raleigh, North Carolina, Exploring what makes this city what it is. And what it will become. People used to be able to ask each other, where are you from? And it would have a very clear answer. But I think people moving so much that it's hard to answer that question. Right. I, it depends on where I am, that how I answer that question. When I lived in Europe, people say, where are you from? I would say New York because I had just lived there for almost 20 years. And, or I would just say I'm from the States, mm -hmm. right? So home can be many things. I grew up in Miami, so that's a very big part of me. And actually last night I was doing a crossword puzzle with my daughters. And one of the questions was, what metropolitan area has Little Havana and South Beach? And my nine-year-old daughter had no idea. Wow. I know. <laughs> it's Miami. Yeah. And I was like, this is so funny that I have a child that's nine years old who does not have any idea what South Beach is or Little Havana. And those are the places that not Little Havana doesn't really define my childhood, but South Beach certainly does. Mm -hmm. And when I was a child, it was called Miami Beach. And South Beach was a tourist like hospitality name for Miami Beach. Oh, Yes, but I've come to think of it as South Beach. Mm -hmm. But that's so that I, I would never let anyone take Miami away from me. But it has been so long since I've called it home. I'm not a born and bred New Yorker, but I moved there when I was 19 years old. Okay. I was going to ask you when you left Miami. I left Miami and moved to Vermont. And I went to school at Bennington College for a year and a half. So I went from one extreme to a completely different extreme. I did not even have a real winter coat when I moved to Vermont. <laughs> and then I transferred to the the new school in New York my sophomore year because I wanted to get going. I was like, I can't live over here. I have to go get to New York and work in fashion right now. I remember that feeling. Yeah. I was like, forget this. I can't live in this small, like it just felt like so, such a small place. How many years were you at, e at each? I was in Vermont for a year and a half. And then I moved to New York and went to the new school, and I was there for a couple of years and went back to Vermont. We ran out of money, and I couldn't pay for school, and I lived in North Bennington for a year, then went back to New York to graduate from the new school and stayed there. So I first moved to New York in 1993. 
you look great for your age. I thought you were younger than you are. And it's not just how you look. It's also your energy. It's probably both. You know, I think. There's a new hashtag saying I look my age for people over 50. And it's like, I'm 52 and I look my age. I'm 60 and I look my age. This idea is that 50 and 60 look a certain way and look really old is kind of outdated. Yeah, totally. People look different. I know people who are younger than me that I'm shocked that they look way older than me. Right. And my parents were like that. My parents always looked really young compared Mm -hmm. to their peers. They were very free spirited Mm -hmm. and made sure that they lived a good life Mm -hmm. for themselves as well as for their children. So they were very young looking and young acting. And I think that got passed down to a certain degree. But yeah, so home is many things. I grew up in Miami, but it was so long ago. You know, you can't remove your childhood, but I don't feel like Miami defines me. It would be almost absurd. And now I feel like I've been out of New York now for almost, it's now becoming eight years. Mm -hmm. And so I'm starting to feel like New York is fading a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a huge part of my formative part of me, Mm -hmm. but it's not everything. And I lived in Europe for five years. So where is home? Right now I'm making a home in Raleigh. I came here to to try out raising my kids here. I wanted a place that felt safe, comfortable. You know, my priorities have, have changed. And I wanted a place that was pretty and dynamic mm-hmm. and convenient, but also had access to nature where you couldn't forget nature. Where I felt like growing up in Miami, it was too much concrete. Right. And didn't feel close to the natural world unless you were in the ocean or yeah. at the beach. I grew up in like flashy 80s Miami Vice era and then moving to Vermont and nurturing my love of nature and pastoral beauty. And then New York is where I came of age and hustled and where I was part of the golden era of hip hop and wrote for hip hop magazines and worked for companies. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about your career interests. So you studied fashion at the new school. What what were you pursuing when you were in college years, career-wise? Yeah, I studied cultural studies at the new school, but I wrote my thesis on Vogue magazine and its formation of female identity, its contribution to our ideas of American female identity. Wow. So it's called a cultural studies examination of Vogue magazine. And I did all of my research in the Condé Nast library. Cool. So how did you land on that very unique uh, intersection of culture, femininity, fashion, the way I think about it, it's like, I want to do anthropology or sociology or, and I think of fashion and I'm like, if you were in fashion, you'd want to be a designer, you want to be a creative person, but you were coming at fashion from a more anthropological point of view. And how did you decide to do that? Well, I wanted to be a fashion designer when I was a child. I loved fashion because I loved construction of garments and I love, I'm very aesthetically driven, but the act of sewing and draping, the actual physical act of making garments Mm -hmm. or drawing garments was not my strength. Mm -hmm. And I don't like small detail work. And I'm more of an intellectual type of person. And I'm more of a creative person. I didn't get into Parsons for for fashion design. My idea was I was going to do a double major in fashion design and cultural studies. And I grew up in a very multicultural place in Miami. And, you know, most of my friends were Latin. And I was really interested in diversity. But I was also really interested in fashion and and beauty and 
the history of fashion. So it just, I kind of felt like I wanted to prove that fashion had gravitas and merit. Uh-huh. My my thesis advisor was like, I don't agree with it that fashion has that kind of impact and you're going to have to prove it to me. And I got an A plus on the paper. And oh my God. It was a hundred page paper. Yeah. And it oh, was- I love that. Thank you for explaining that. I really love that story and just... I can really relate to wanting to think outside the box and sometimes in school environments being told I'm wrong or it's not good, like my thinking's not good and being really frustrated by that and wanting to prove people wrong. And And I appreciate that you went outside of the box and were like, I'm going to make a point that other people don't see yet. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love the idea of signs. I studied semiotics. So I love the idea of signs and symbols and linguistics and language and it was kind of also working it out for myself because I loved fashion, I, but really I loved couture and I also love street style. I love like beautiful things being made and mm-hmm. the creativity of that. Yeah. But I also love the way people express themselves. Mm-hmm. So it was about exploring that. Mm-hmm. Kind of like this podcast about why Raleigh is like uh, trying to do that investigative examination mm-hmm. of something, the mm-hmm. investigative curiosity and also the interest in creativity. So it's sort of like throughout my entire life, it's been this balance between the intellect and the creative. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was really about that. And then that morphed into my love of ballet. And I kind of lost interest in fashion as an industry because I do feel it's really superficial. And it is more overrun by capitalistic concerns rather than the pure art form that it started with. Mm -hmm. But I still do love the way people express themselves in different ways. It just changes over yeah, I, I never pursued fashion, but I love fashion. Also, all my friends at Bennington, they were loved art mm. and film. And they, a lot of people were responding to my interest in fashion with scorn that it was right. very frivolous. And I was like, well, wait a minute. I don't think it's frivolous. I do feel like it is part of our cultural lexicon. And and in conversation, I would make that that case. Mm-hmm. And so it was born out of that, like a reckoning between, because intellect was really important growing up in my family, right. like your intellectual ability and prowess was yeah. part of how we were valued. And so I always wanted to justify because fashion right. does seem pretty superficial. Yeah. Because it was frustrating to you that you loved these two things and people didn't take them equally seriously. Yeah. Some of it's valid, but you know, when you're young, you're like, so really worried about what you worry what other people think oh yeah you're also you know you're like you have to justify you were talking about a transition you made out of fashion into cultural studies and then I worked at magazines okay yeah I worked at 17 magazine and I worked at parade magazine and I worked at Harper's Bazaar I was the assistant to the editor-in-chief of Harper's Bazaar after Liz Tilbaris died from ovarian cancer, they brought in an interim editor-in-chief who came from Australia. She was the editor-in-chief of Australian Vogue. And then they hired me because I was writing a street style in New York blog. And they wanted someone who could help her orient herself in New York and help her get to know New York. And I was like, you know, so they were like, Chauncey would be perfect. And so I became her assistant as I developed my own blog, which was called Girl on the Street and was nominated for a Webby and it was a street style blog, but oh, also a culture blog. Yeah. I wish you had that on. Do you have that on your website? If you go to the Wayback, 
way back section? It is. <laughs> it's in my bio. I hand coded the HTML. There was no like blogger software or anything. Wow. Like, yeah. Cool. I had 80,000 followers that, you know, read that I had like a newsletter and I, you know, I went to all the fashion weeks and took pictures of the That's of the right. audience and then I started writing for hip hop magazines and I wrote a fashion column in Honey Magazine. I wrote for The Source. I worked for FUBU and Echo and Rockaware and like a lot of hip hop stuff. Cool. Yeah. Okay. So stepping back from all the new information I just received about the hip hop stuff, <laughs> I was going to say before that we've when we've been working together so far, I've noticed just how great of a writer you are. And it all makes sense because you're, you're a great writer and you love the ideas and the symbols and you love fashion, but you really like it intellectually as well. Like what does fashion represent in our society? I like, col I li I like culture and I love visual culture mm -hmm. also. So mm -hmm. that has permeated my entire career. I love the visual aesthetic, the visual world. I later became a blogger of industrial design and oh. illustration. Like when I lived in Europe, I had another website called What Women Make and I did a an event during London Design Festival where I curated 10 designers from six different countries about industrial design and art. And, you know, so it sort of like morphed from being about fashion and young, mm -hmm. younger, younger women mm -hmm. to being like women who had won design competitions in industrial design and furniture design and stuff like that. Cool. So from clothing to other kinds of interiors and yeah, I got recruited out of my own website, Girl on the Street, into an ad agency. So I had been doing consulting with marketing firms and ad agencies on cultural trends. And I was on retainer by a music marketing firm where I wrote a lot of their newsletters for like hip hop and for rock and roll and for like pop to their audiences. So I, I made that part of my career. But then I got hired to do like cultural research for mostly black run ad agencies. And then I got hired by a big agency in Miami called Crispin as a senior brand strategist. So I just learned on the job how to be a brand strategist. I was like in a senior position. I had never been a brand strategist. I had been an ethnographer and insights expert. And I had a network of girls around the world from Girl on the Street that reported on trends. But mostly it was my own trend research. But that's how I got into that agency. And then that's where I learned brand strategy. And I worked at three other ad agencies and then consulted. And that's the last 15, 20 years I've been doing brand strategy in addition to writing and then became a marketing VP in tech. Wow. I love it. <laughs> I so, yeah. love it. This is great. I feel like we could have had this conversation before, but it's so fun to have you it. You didn't know any of this stuff. I mean, I think you've alluded to it. You've mentioned fashion. You've mentioned working with the, at the magazines. I know that you worked for agencies. I know that you've worked in brand strategy for tech. It's just the connection between and the evolution is... I know. It's so hard. It's the first time I've heard the whole story. So I love hearing the whole story and how you connect the dots in, in your mind, you know, because... Yeah, I'm always trying to figure it out because the longer your career is, mm -hmm. the more you do, especially mm -hmm. if you don't have a linear career. It's not like, oh, I have 20 years at IBM. Yes. You can't see it, but I just raised my hand. Yes, also yeah. don't have a linear career. Right. It, it, you, ha you feel like you have to connect the dots and also to explore, you know, through coaches and therapy and everything else, what drives you. And I've that's how I've learned. Like, I'm interested in culture and trying to make sense of the world. It's all about, like, sense making. Mm -hmm. And I love beautiful things. I just love beautiful things. So there are different aspects of your brain, but that's why, like, I think 
the next permutation of my career will be about like insights plus imagination, like my next agency or my offering as a fractional CMO is about insights plus imagination because those are the two things that I try to connect. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's a really cool story. And for me personally, we all have our own values, right? My values are I love people who've had interesting lives. I try to live an interesting life and uh, that's not cookie cutter and ex- expected and is, you know, full of adventure and discovery and your your life is is that it's been full of trying different things, growing, pushing yourself, going into new spaces and leads me to a question of why Raleigh? No, not not yet. Not yet. No. So as you were evolving, can you remember a time when you had to step into a new role or maybe give a speech or do something really scary and how that went and then what that meant to you that you pushed through the fear and evolved yourself personally and professionally? Do you have an experience you can remember? Yeah. Well, the first thing that comes to mind, well, first of all, I just have to say that in 2007, I put everything into storage, didn't tell anyone, got an apartment in Paris, and then announced to my family and everyone, I'm moving to Paris with a date and everything. So no one could talk me out of it. Like got the proper paperwork for my dog to come with me. So that was a huge move. And that's when I wrote a novel that has not been published called Rock Underwater, which is about making a huge change and how it feels like a death and a rebirth. Your question reminds me of that. But there was more confidence in that than there was a time more, I think, when you're in a really low point is when those things have more of an impact. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of riding a high. Actually, after a very low point, I like had to move to Miami, even though it was for a somewhat, well, considered a glamorous job. I grew up there and I moved to Miami for this agency and I had just gone through a breakup. I was completely heartbroken and very depressed. And then where the agency I worked for was not very feminist, (laughs) I noticed in ad agency culture Mm -hmm. that there was a lot of misogyny and Mm -hmm. women were objectified a lot. And it was, you know, really took my breath away and made me, and I was in a very low place in my life as far as like feeling heartbroken and a little bit lost. Like I broke up with a man I had wanted to, I thought we would get married and I was just adrift. Even though I was at this great agency, everyone thought was so glamorous to work at, it was not what I had wanted Mm -hmm. and it was not where I wanted to be and I felt very confused. And I went to see a documentary about feminism and like the only government's funded convention on, on feminism and women's rights ever. I was just like shaking with the desire to like raise my hand and say something. And I was going through like really debilitating public speaking fear at the time. At the agency, I would like get heart palpitations when I had to introduce myself. And I was just really anxious. But I was like, I have to say something about like feminism. And I stood up, shaky need, and like gave this weird monologue. It was probably awful, but it took a lot of courage And I think it was a turning point where I was just like, I cannot let myself be silenced by my anxiety and by my fear of standing up for myself. And I did it. Like, I just did that. And I think in the coming year, three years after, I completely changed into someone who was a lot more confident and a lot less afraid. I didn't second guess myself as much. And that just took pure fortitude. Mm -hmm. 
to be like, I can't, I cannot live like this. I have to say how I feel and not put up with misogyny and not put up with oppression and not give voice to things that really matter. And Yeah. And just know that, that you matter, you know, and your perspective and your contribution in work and in the world is, is valuable. Yeah. And just standing up for that. other women. Like I, oh yeah, I totally feel really moved when I see women personally and in the cultural sphere, it brings me to tears because it makes me feel like we're we're rising up, you know, we're going to make an impact in the world. And whether it's at a conference and I see a woman stand up, then I might want to stand up and ask a question, you know, so I think we inspire each other. It was just like, I think it was at the University of Miami and it, it was a, you know, a fair amount of people, but it was, it, it wasn't that big a risk. Right. But it felt like a big risk because I, I was just there by myself and I was in my head. I had a lot of like challenges emotionally at the time. So for me at the time. At the time, yeah. It was a big deal. Yeah. I think it showed that I, I was so nervous and so upset because I was like, you know, at the one agency I worked at, girls were told to wear short skirts to meetings. Yeah, it was bad. And it was, you know, not that long ago. Yeah. And I was like, oh, because I had worked for myself a lot of my career before that. So I had never really seen women mm-hmm. be treated so poorly. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. I have a story like that, but we'll wait till. Sure. It's my turn. Hi, I'm Andrea, the community associate at Common Desk in Raleigh. And I'm Gabby with Fiction Coffee Crabtree Terrace. Fiction uses coffee as a vessel to spark connection and create spaces where everyone belongs. Common Desk brings together the key elements of your work week, office space, coffee, events, and meeting rooms, empowers them with our hospitality-driven staff and culture. With flexible memberships, A-list amenities, and spaces built with you in mind, Common Desk exists to make days better. Common Desk Desk and Fiction Coffee are co-sponsoring this podcast. So what lights you up? What makes you excited? Or it makes you feel alive? My favorite places to be would be when I'm writing and I'm allowed to have that time to write creative writing, fiction. That's my favorite thing to be doing. Hanging out and doing stuff with my kids. And I love being in meetings with really creative, interesting companies and helping. Honestly, I really love helping to tell their story and help them organize their thinking and what is awesome and special about the people that work at the company and making a story of that and their product. Like I love being almost like a therapist to companies and brands and being in that situation and being trusted with their brand. Mm -hmm. I I really love it because I love meeting new people and being in different situations. And I love business problems and how people are solving them. So do you have some brand building memories or experiences you can talk about, brands that you've helped develop that you're really proud of? I mean, I'm proud of all of them, but I think things from Show Love, you know, I had a brand documentary. I didn't even mention that in like my career thing, but I had a brand documentary filmmaking company and I loved that. I loved working as much with nonprofits that helped teach, you know, kids in inner cities how to plant carrots and how to cook vegetables as much as I loved working with the C-suite of Comcast about 
what matters to them as business leaders. Like I love business. I love business strategy and I love the idea of creating better business models and really creating a wonderful company culture. And I felt like with Comcast, they really had that internally, honestly. Okay. And I really love interviewing CEOs that think they know exactly what they want to say, but getting to like the heart of what drives them and what drives their company and unearthing things they didn't think about. I just love that. Okay, cool. So did you work with Comcast on at Show Love to make like a film? Yeah, we did like for three years of videos of stories about the entire C-suite, the making of their operating system, about innovation there and entrepreneurship at the company. We were there every month or so for like a day or two for three years. Cool. Yeah. Just helping them make internal content. Yeah, like they were trying to, well, they were wanting to, you know, say we are a media company, we're not just a cable company. And they were trying to attract talent from MIT and Stanford. Okay. And they were rebranding. They had just acquired NBC Universal. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we were allowed to say all the little specifics about the strategy of why we were hired, but Comcast had become a much bigger company. It was no longer a cable company. Right. And so we were honored to be hired to help them tell that story of them as an innovative company. Cool. And they treated us really well. They didn't, we didn't have to have scripts reviewed. We just walked in and interviewed people. They said, we just totally trust them. And so it was just very empowering. And that was only a little bit after we had come back from Europe and come back to New York. So it was really exciting to have that kind of confidence. Did you meet with did they have their own sort of like brand management team that you worked with? I worked with a VP of communications. Okay. So you two would sort of strategize on? A little bit in the beginning, but then it just got to be like, okay, we want to tell the story of our operating system. We want to understand, you know, we want to talk to the C-suite about, you know, there's some a few topics and then they're like, you write the questions and we met with like, the, you know, Ralph Roberts, the founder of Comcast, who like literally started the company. It was all about the excitement of the entrepreneurship and now becoming this huge, you know, conglomerate. They, you know, that what a what a ride. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of kindness. I just we liked the people, so it was really easy to right. tell these stories. And you got you probably got, like I would be pretty intimidated to interview him, but you you got See, I'm saying coming from the time period of when I like raised my hand at the feminist documentary in two thousand and five to 2012 when I was interviewing, I was no longer scared or I felt 100% confident. That was a transition that I went through to become like a more integrated person and Mm -hmm. not second guess myself. Right. Of course, I do second guess myself all the time in different contexts. Yeah. yeah. But I can, I I felt not like comfortable doing that. You come into your own. I felt like I had come into my own. That's awesome. I still really want to see some of those videos. (laughs) Yeah. Just as a, as a. Well, you can see the Comcast ones by going, like, Googling entrepreneurship at Comcast. You'll see oh, them. Oh, cool. But the ones on, I can, yeah, I'm going to upload the ones onto YouTube that, because I, I just couldn't pay for Vimeo. And it was like hundreds of dollars a year. And we, yeah. I haven't, we haven't made any new videos. But yeah, Edible Schoolyard, New York, telling that story was my favorite story that oh, we cool. told. Oh, cool. Okay. I love that. This is. And interviewing all these kids, so cute. Yes. And. Like doing the Beyond, Beyond Meat story was was a lot of fun and super in, exciting because it was I cold pitched them 
wow. and got the client and they had just, you know, they, so, I, yeah, that's some sales that right in there. Huh? Did you, yeah. cause you and your husband at the time were like a, the creative team. Yeah. And, and I did all the business development and okay. branding of show love and everything else and the storyboarding. And he was the DP and editor. Got it. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It was really fun. I'd love to see some of the, I, I want to hear more about the, the pitching. I've done some sales and everybody has different techniques. There's no right or wrong way it's to do it. It's a lot easier when you're working with a partner. It is, yeah. That's why I work with you because <laughs> yeah. you can like talk about their talents. If right. I'm like, I'm so, you know, the thing that really intimidates me is I have written two novels and I did a podcast last year and that was all it was about my writing. Mm. And yeah, they had to really help me talk about it because I that's like my insecurity. Like I've written these novels. I mean, I've gotten a lot of good feedback, but they ha haven't gotten an agent. I haven't published them. And it's my biggest why goal in life is to publish those novels. Why? Why is it like logistic? Well, one of them is totally done. The other one still needs some work. It's not completely done. Okay. One of them has like 10 drafts and that's why I moved to Paris and I wrote it there. And Oh, cool. The other one is more recent and isn't completely finished. There's another one that's just outlined. But yeah, I mean, that's... The so is there unfinished one unfinished business of my life? Is there one that's pretty much ready to publish? Yeah, The Rock Underwater, the one that I wrote when I went to Paris. Okay. So that would be if you were going to take steps to publish one of them, it would be that one. Yeah, I mean I have tried to get agents and I haven't gotten one. Okay. Yeah, it's I've heard it's hard. It's extremely hard. And you know, Random House was considering it and then they decided not to publish it. And I didn't even have an agent at the time right when I finished it. It's supposed to be a mystery, and I think I don't give enough away. And so oh. it's confusing. Some of it is like, okay. where are you? I'm like, I don't want you to know where I am. So Oh, okay. It, and, and I like haven't been able to resolve the issue. Right. And so it just weighs on me. Like, how do I resolve that issue in the book? I'll, it'll never get published until I figure it out. Mm -hmm. It's an issue of craft, and it's one I have not been able to resolve in the last decade. So it just sits there. People are like, why don't you just publish it as a memoir because there's memoir parts of it. I'm like, no, I feel strongly of what I'm trying to do in it, but it's it's doesn't feel finished. Okay. Well, if you do figure it out and you do publish it, it'll be a great story that you spend a decade trying to figure out how to connect I know, the dots. I know. That's my, that's my lifelong goal and my biggest goal is to publish these books, is to, to just write fiction, honestly. But I love the business aspect uh, to be on. Like, okay. I wouldn't want to just be a creator, right. a novelist, mm -hmm. because what feeds the novels is working with companies and businesses and learning about having life experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and I love working with, I love business. Like, I yeah. read business news every day and care. I obviously really care about it. I think that's a decent transition to why Raleigh, because in our intro, we talked about how great Raleigh is for, for business. And we're humans. We're not just machines. We need to have a good place for our family and a good economy and nice outdoor spaces. Holistically, you know, Raleigh is a good place for business, not just economically. So maybe we can talk a little bit about how you felt creating your new life here, what we're doing, if you want to talk about that. Yeah, I have, yeah, I have opinions about all that. So... It, it isn't completely random that I ended up here. I did a a project for Baby Gannix on a farm not too far from here. And years ago, I visited Duke in Chapel Hill considering going to business school 
on a road trip down to Miami with a friend from New York who is from South Carolina. And we stopped here for a couple of days and I was like, oh, it's so pretty. So it was on my radar, but I was dating somebody who lived here and I visited a few times and he was like a horrible human, like diabolically horrible. In fact, one of my books is about him and it's called Claw, about like a monster. So that's a whole like, yeah, you have to get to know me. There's, <laughs> Yeah, it's about like he had like a person that's very handsome, but has claws, like retractable <laughs> claws. Yeah, it's about him. He's a horrible person. It reminds he me of, with... you know, that show Reese Witherspoon did that takes place in Big Sur. Yeah. What is that show? Big Little, Little Li- Lies. Big Little Lies. Yeah, about the husband. Reminds me of that him. That was such a good, that is the best show, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. And then that character reminds me of. Yeah. Yeah, he was awful, right? Anyway, this was on my radar. And through people I knew, I had visited a couple times. And I was like, oh my, this is kind of great. I had a friend here and I visited a couple of times and we went to Boxcar and we went to Watson Ward and Side saw some note, concerts at Red Hat. I went to high school with the, one of the founders of Watson Ward. Oh, wow. Okay. And I was like, this place is great. You went to like, a concert? I went to concerts at Red Hat. I love the like fish gill type of... The tree. The tree, yes. Like, I was like, this is so cool. And I just loved it. I was like, there's so much to do here. There's so, wow, there's so much energy here. And then I moved here and more square was opening. Or I came here to, to check it out, to, to like explore the idea of moving my family here and rented a place for a little while. And more square was opening, like the, the reopening, opening, yeah, the reopening of more square. They had all these like big toys on the lawn. And Square Burger was open and there was a DJ and the music was really good. And I was like, this is great. The weather is awesome. You know, it's like pretend cold when it gets cold. You're like, yeah. oh, a little coat that you don't have to zip up. <laughs> and then in the summer, there's one super hot month, but it's not like the deep south where it's like boiling hot. Right. And they have all these beautiful trees. I loved driving Wade Avenue. Yeah. It was like, we call the roller coaster road. My kids and I were like, we it is kind of like that. I see on like people like hate Wade Avenue because it's dangerous. It is probably dangerous. But it was like, okay, guys, we're getting onto the roller coaster road and like to go Aww. to Whole Foods and stuff. And I think it's super fun. And then during the pandemic, you know, kind of solidified my living here because mm-hmm. it went into kindergarten here before the pandemic. And I just couldn't believe like every school was so great. You couldn't find a bad school and coming from New York where most schools aren't super great and people fight to get into the good public schools into the right neighborhood to get into the good public school Mm -hmm. here I felt like there were just so many good schools and we were in the Wiley neighborhood and that was like perfectly fine and they were renovating it and I thought it was so beautiful it looked like a school out of like a tv show Mm because I didn't go to I didn't grow up in a place with Schools that look like that, those old, you know, old brick yeah. and stone buildings yeah. and like up on a high hill. It's been and there for a long time. I don't know how long, but it's a, it's a... I know. And they had just... Actually, they were like going to school in Garner and in like little trailers because they were renovating Wiley. So oh, Wiley right. was like off campus. So they only spent one year, I think, at the actual Wiley. Mm-hmm. But it was just so pretty. And all the parents that I met 
were so supportive and friendly. Like even from that first day when you're going to the like popsicle mm-hmm. play date thing. Yeah. During the summer when I first, and I was, you know, like my dad had just died. My mm-hmm. dad died in May of 2019. And I moved here in June 2019. And I was very like shook up. And that was also obviously an extremely low point because he was my favorite person on earth. Aww. And, you know, I didn't feel like I was getting a lot of support. And I felt sad and all that and I hadn't they hadn't gotten into school but even from that first like popsicle play date I met really nice moms and everyone was just so kind-hearted mm-hmm. where you know in other small towns my experience had been kind of a little clickishness and a little distrust mm-hmm. you know or uncertainty where I felt like people were just super open here mm-hmm. and I felt and a lot of people were really educated and smart and I noticed also quite a bit of diversity which is extremely important to me. So it was I was off to a good start. And then we moved to Washington Elementary. And mm-hmm. that just won number one magnet school in the country. Wow. And going in there is just like the coziest, best feeling. And there was just so much to do. As a parent, you get the email newsletters and it'd be like 100 things on that list and places to go and things to do and the history museum. And I was just Honestly, over time, it gets to be like, okay, there needs to be even more. Right, right, right. You know, but I think, you know, then we had this pandemic that it wasn't just in Raleigh. Right. It was everywhere. (laughs) Everyone had this situation. And so some of these things that were starting to percolate, obviously simmered down. A lot of the really cool independent retail stores closed. And I have to say, I was impressed because even living in Barcelona and Paris, there were a lot of chain stores. A lot of the independent retail had closed. Right. And, you know, all over the world, all cities, all towns is like Walmarts and chain restaurants. And it's kind of depressing. Even in New York, a lot of storefronts were open. But when I moved here, I I was surprised by the amount of independent retail. Yes. And whimsical, cute little stores. And so, uh, of course, a lot of those places did close. And during the pandemic, during the pandemic. But you know, that's really unique to Raleigh that that even was here. Yeah. I mean, and that really does not exist on that level. So I thought that was really cool. I was really excited about Raleigh and I was not going through the best time of my own life. And it, and I feel like Raleigh kind of held me afloat mm-hmm. as a place. And I would wake up and go like, what's not to like, you know, mm-hmm. where even in Paris, I'd be like, oh, it's like a jewel box and it's so expensive. Right. And in Barcelona, which I never felt as attached to as Paris, I was kind of like, eh, it doesn't have the business acumen that I love. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, nothing's New York. Right. I'd always be like, nah, this isn't New York. This-. And I think being a parent, your priorities shift. But mm-hmm. also I feel like, no, it's not New York, but does it have to be? Raleigh doesn't have to be New York. Right. I think New York is too comfortable with itself in a lot of ways. And I think we're in a period where we need new places. Mm-hmm. And all, some of that does have to do with climate change and being in a place that is geographically safer yeah, because of the increase in storms and fires. And I it's, just, a, it's a thing. Yeah. yeah. Even if even for me, I, mean, I don't have kids, but yeah. You want to be in a place that you feel safe in. Like yeah. Raleigh is the Piedmont region. So it's not in the mountains. It's not at the beach. And also it has like the target that you need as a parent. Like, you know, I'm not going to pretend I don't need a Walmart and a Target. <laughs> Yeah. You know, like there, yeah. I had thought about moving to the Hudson Valley, but you know what? I really need like the feeling of a bit of a city and a little bit of energy around me. And at the same time, want some space. And I feel like I get 
that and is really pretty i think i think it's really pretty it is it is it is yeah i love that was such a great explanation of how you discovered raleigh your experience like coming here what really stood out to you it's really informative for me to hear from a new person's perspective what you liked and what has stood out to you from other places you've lived because i grew up here so right it's kind of exciting to hear that you really appreciated and noticed the local businesses and all the efforts Raleigh has been making to make our common downtown spaces livable and family-friendly. There's Um, so many really well-produced, polished places and like, like events and places. Like I'm like, wow, I'm always like, impressed by how well things are put thought out and put together yeah you know like even in john chavis park the little community center there feels extremely new and clean and i'll I'll just say like quickly there's some things i think that raleigh could use more of i loved hopscotch that's one of the first things i experienced when i moved here it's this weekend yeah i'm I'm not i'm not going are you i'm gonna go to the some of the like free or cheaper local events the first year i did like vip wristband but I know it got sold to some. I, mean, I don't. Know, it got sold to another company, and I, I heard it's not as good. But the first year I came here, I did everything hopscotch, and I thought it was so great. It, it was amazing, and some of my favorite artists were here, like Kurt Vile, and I, I thought it was great. And I took my kids to the daytime stuff, and then there's Art Explosion, which I thought was super cute, and I just thought it was also really well produced. Um, Terry Terry Dollar produces it. She was my agent when I was a kid, kid actor. Oh wow! Yeah, she had a, a talent agency for. Mostly theater kids in Raleigh. Nice. Yeah. I love North Carolina Museum of Art. I absolutely love it. And I, my kids did a summer camp there one summer, and it was brilliant too. But I, I think not not just the arts, but I think it, the more I say that, I'm like, oh, I also like the design museum that's part of NC State, mm-hmm. which I also think is really well curated and great. You know, so there, it's like there's, there is so much, but I feel like there could be more of a creative culture, mm-hmm. like that you see in places like Austin here mm-hmm. that I think there could be more to that, more of a, like a creative bent, more creative companies coming here, like Epic Games. Yeah. More of that. Okay. What do you think your biggest accomplishments are? Raising girls on my own, moving to Paris and starting a writer's group and finishing a novel, starting Girl on the Street and What Women Make and Show Love, my brand documentary film making company. Writing Rock Underwater and Not Giving Up and Saying No to the Easy Path in My Career. I love it. And anything else I want to say about Raleigh? More creativity, more media companies, and more incentives for design and art. Like cool. Maybe even like some government incentives to bring more creative businesses to Raleigh, I think would be great to complement the abundance of tech and brain power here i agree agree Um, that's a lot would you like would you like to see more like big artists coming through like concerts yeah i i felt like there was when i first moved here and now i'm like oh it's the same people like i there's some other big big acts that i wish i had pandemic i think pushed everybody back even new york and i mean i think everybody got pushed back by the pandemic this is another important thing I didn't really mention is that three hours you're in the beautiful mountains and two hours you're at a stunning beach. You know, Wrightsville is two hours direct and on one road. I mean, that's like a little mini California. Mm-hmm. I saw on Reddit somewhere that someone said 
We might not have the best mountains, but they're pretty damn good mountains. We might not have the best beaches, but they're pretty good damn beaches. And I mean, maybe that's a little too disparaging, but like th- there's a lot, you know, it's true. You know, And we, we're on the East Coast. We're not in the middle of the country. Right. Like, landlocked. We're like, we're not, we're not right on the coast, but we're like still East Coast. Right. We're safely just away from the coast. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I, I, I went to Curie Beach and it took me two and a half hours to, to get there. And people were, I met all different kinds of people. I met some people coming from the mountains. I met some people coming from Cary. Like I met a whole bunch of people. And people just, I noticed, really just want to connect and tell their story Mm -hmm. and have conversations. And I learned so much. And most of the time I'm stuck in my apartment at my desk in Zoom calls and not getting out there. Like most of my social circle are like you know, moms that I see through play dates right. and my cul-de-sac with the most, the nicest people you could ever meet. And all of these people are so nice, but I just love being, meeting all different kinds of people. And that's something I miss about New York is like mm-hmm. every time I left the house, right? I would have a new a, adventure. Uh, yeah. Literally every time I'd come home, I have a story to tell. Yeah. I and, met this guy at the bar. I met this person at the newsstand. Yeah. Like or, the craziest stuff where we'd all see something together or like, you know, obviously to see famous people, which are not always the most interesting people, but that will happen over time. Yeah. As people come together. But I do feel like what I want out of this podcast mm-hmm. is to just meet, to get out there and meet more people. Mm hmm. And get to know people yeah. and maybe like throw some dinner parties yeah, at, at my let's house. Do it. At my house yeah. too. We could we could go we could go back and forth. Okay, sure. Well, I've been that I I literally bought this nine foot table. Cool. During the pandemic, and I was living in Boylan Heights at this in the smallest house. Now I have a normal size house, pretty pretty normal size house, and it like took up the whole house. And I was like, this is for like when the pandemic's over. Aww. I want to have. Dinner parties, because I grew up having, I hosted dinner parties. I love dinner parties. That's so great. We discovered that because I would love to do that with you. All right. Well, thank you for being my guest. You're welcome. All right. Well, it's a wrap. Please follow or subscribe so you don't miss our next episode coming soon. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever you get your podcasts. See you soon, Raleigh.